uh, I'm gonna pre. Well, I'm doing a couple things today, different. Um, first is uh, the song that uh, that I'm gonna splice into this. That should have played right before this is um, from Drake's uh, Uncharted, and it's actually from a, a video game that I love. And I'm honestly. It's just one of the most powerful, strong, moving themes to me. I just find it so regal at the same time. It's just adventurous. They do such a... It does such a fantastic job at capturing and presenting emotion that I just can't help but, you know, love it. So, in any case... Um, today's, uh, discussion is going to be on creativity, and, uh, a few years ago, I was working at, um, what was it, uh, UTI, Universal Technical Institute, and, man, sorry, my allergies are killing me today, and, um, I had a, they ended up, uh, including something called a mock framework, and for me, the premise was pretty simple, you... You have layers of communication in the database, and this isn't going to be a technical conversation, by the way. Um, this little piece of it is going to be technical, but not the entire conversation today. Um, you, so you have something called the mock framework, and it's spelled M-O-Q. And um, it's basically there's a... Uh, in, in most computer programs... Um, particularly when you're dealing with a corporate-type basis and everything, you have two, primarily three tiers. Usually it's about three tiers. You have the user interface tier, um, which is more or less where the user is expected to interact with the program and you know, it has all the logic that's associated to it. You know, So it could be like a, a web front-end, an internet front-end, that accepts the information. Um, and then you have the the business processing tier, and these are aren't always separated out this finely, but it makes it a little bit easier from a management perspective to separate them out. And then you have the data layer. And um, what I mean by each each of these is, um, you know, the user interface is where you enter the data. You know, so for instance, you might uh, enter your credit card information to a web-based application. That would actually be considered the user tier, the user interface layer. Um, the business process layer might actually be when you hit that button, um, it goes and it actually pings the uh, the credit card company. And at that point, it uh, it says, okay, you know, gives a yes or no on the transaction and everything. That would be considered business logic, the whole processes, you know, that are a part of whether or not um, it's the, the business itself or interacting with other business. This is considered the business process layer. And uh, it's not, an, I mean, there's always some kind of process that goes on before or while it's being committed to see the data layer. And the data layer is more or less uh, more intended for more permanent retention of information. Um, it's where you might have SQL Server, um, MySQL, some people do flat files still, um, Excel, it could actually be put into an Excel file. Um, I've seen it done that way. Any Anything that actually has a firm commitment to the disk is considered the data layer. And uh, typically, 
for especially for big companies, you'll see SQL Server or Oracle or something like that that's actually going to commit this information for long term that allows other people to actually query from that information. So in any case, um, I, we were working on something called the Mock Framework. Uh, some one of the guys, Neil, had introduced it over at UTI, and um, it was you know I just he was a uh, he was asking me, you know, as a consultant and everything, you know, um, what I thought about it and everything. And he goes, uh, can you do us a favor and review it and let us know if we can actually use it within our system and everything. They had a .NET uh, front end and also business process layer with the SQL Server back end. And um, they were interested in replacing or not, they were interested in using Mock, but they weren't sure how to actually use it. So I started diving into it, and I, I ended up taking a look at it, and I didn't know the, the level that they had dug into it themselves. But uh, as I learned, that it's capable to, you know, you can actually replace uh, certain layers and just spit out information. So say, for instance, you're not interested, you're interested in testing out the user inter- interface, and uh, you, you're, the database isn't done yet. And let's say the, uh, you know, your your interactions with the, um, the credit card processor is not done either. Or you don't want to actually test out that. You don't want to send credit card transactions to the credit card company, particularly when you're in a test phase or something like that. So. <laughs> What they, uh, what we ended up doing, you know, first thing I ended up doing was testing it against this. I, I created a fake database, uh, a fake data layer, um, and uh, a fake uh, credit card processor. So at that point, when it ended up going out, it ended up uh, actually going through this layer. Inevitably, I would always uh, give a, an, a, a yes, it's, it's a, a valid card or something like that. Or I might have a random number generator in there that would actually randomly um, deny or, or accept the credit card number. Um, sometimes I would look for specific cre- credit card numbers and everything. And this is actually when they, uh, when the student went to go book the uh the um their class online or something like that so yes indeed it actually did have credit card processing in it and everything well the mock framework allowed the easy way to replace these layers and everything and uh to very quickly and easily put in the real layers so you can selectively put in the fake layers uh, to do some testing or um, if you have problems or something like that, you can very quickly and easily replace out a layer, um, put it into test mode at that point, um, and it's all transparent to the user. That's the cool thing, you know, so you can in a literal one transaction, you know, and then five seconds later, boom, another transaction. It's uh, it's actually going to have the mock framework and everything. So I I tested it, and for about two days, you know, um, the my my assessment of it was it's obfuscated, and uh, obfuscated just simply means it claims to do a lot for very little and uh, very little return, and uh, it's more of a an interesting framework from a a mental perspective, you know, um, with what it does. And, uh, but really what it does is it also makes it a little bit more difficult, you know, and that, that was a problem they were having. They couldn't wrap their head around it, you know, and that's actually why they ended up having me uh, take a look at it. 
and I'm just like, well... Um, I mean, it, it's great from a testing perspective and everything, but there. But my assessment was there's no reason you can't do your own unit testing, um, leveraging your own system and everything. You know, and mock is just a big, huge, fancy word for unit testing, and it's a you know an attempt to actually make a proprietary unit testing framework and everything. And you know, it's. It, it wasn't something that I was in favor of or anything like that, and uh, but it, it it certainly inspired me, you know, to question this thing called creativity. Now, I had prior to this been been you know just going through this process with uh, opening up a new company, and um, I was going through trying to figure out what the name of the company was, and I was uh, I had figured out the name. It was called Brilliant, his name of the company, and I I wanted to put my everything into this company. I had had several companies before then, but this company in particular was different. It was me, you know. It was. It was something that I was trying to present was um, a gateway to a better, brighter, happier future, not just for me, but for anybody who was actually involved with it. And I wrote up a list of, uh, of 10 things that... Uh, what was it? Uh, Zappos subsequently stole. Um, <laughs> if if you take a look at uh, Zappos' uh, mission statement, um, and in particular take a look at the value list and everything, that's pretty much. I mean, it's almost uh, spot on with the value list that I had. So, and um, I had the value list for a long time prior to, uh, to prior to this. Anyways, I just didn't hadn't actually wrapped it up in a company or anything like that. But one of the things that uh, that I was interested in doing was showing off the creativity from the from a company's perspective and everything, and not only that, making it a highly creative and enjoyable company to work for. So what I was trying to figure out was what is this thing called creativity? Now I knew I wanted this to be a technical company without hesitation. Um, I didn't know what products and services I wanted to be pretty wide ranging. I mean, I look at Richard Brands and what he's done with uh, with Virgin, and um, he's in, in a large facet a huge inspiration. I wouldn't say I, I've done I would do the same thing that he's done, um, but his pursuit of um, whatever fancies him is absolutely inspirational. Um, he created a TV show one time, and that TV show, uh, it was, it didn't do well, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And uh, one of the things that I did on the TV show was uh, he ended up um, having lunch on top of a hot air balloon, and to the challengers, is basically a reality-based TV show that had put uh, these contestants through a series of challenges um, that they had to f- follow, and if they didn't, then boom, they're, they're out of the, uh, the running and everything for the company. And um, what, the, what he's doing is he's essentially offering them the, the CEO position for his new startup, Virgin Galactic. 
and um, uh, president position, and that that uh, not CEO, but uh, the presidential position for that new company and everything. So, if they didn't do what he thought that that he you know kind of invited them to do, then as far as he was concerned, they were out and everything. So it was it was really you know I, I think that's why pe- some people had an issue with it. It's just like, well, who's he? Well, he's the fucking over owner of a multinational company, and this is his show. So that's who he is. So, in any case, um, one, of the, one of the things I loved was uh, the hot air balloon one, where he had two contestants, and uh, all they had to do was crawl on the outside of the hot air balloon while it was 10,000 feet in the air, and uh, he was already situated on top of the hot air balloon uh, with a uh, butler up there, and uh, they were having lunch. And um, that's I thought it was fucking fantastic. He had already gone through the process, so he had... Um, Nothing he did, uh, nothing he asked others to do, was something he would not ask of himself. He would not do himself. That's the whole trip, you know, the trick to uh, to what he did. Not one damn thing that he did was nothing that he wouldn't have done himself. So... And in many cases, he actually did it on the show, too, in order to be able to, you know, I mean, like on the hot air balloon, you know, it's just like, you know, sometimes a CEO might send you, you know, to go do certain things and everything, but this guy was different. He actually did the things, you know, that's what I loved about it. And there was one other episode where he's down to three contestants at the very end, and uh, he's, the challenge is simple, um... They have to go streaking uh, through something called the V-Day Parade, and um, this is actually going on over in London, and there's 14,000 people, you know, and the, the only only thing they have to do is go streaking. And it was kind of funny because they ended up, um, not one of them, uh, or actually only one of them did. The other two didn't, and they were booted, and this is actually what, what got her the uh, one of the uh, leadership roles. So, uh, actually, the, uh, he could only boot one at a time, so then he had to pick from the other two. And uh, he picked the uh, the much more conservative guy and everything. So, in any case, um, I, I found it absolutely fascinating. You know, and the reason he actually asked, asked these, uh, two, these three to do the uh, streaking and everything was uh, he had actually done it back in the 1960s, you know, part of the free love thing and everything. He just wanted to make sure that uh, they were on the same page as him. And... The girl, she was very attractive. She ended up doing it and having a lot of fun with it. And if I remember correctly, she actually sang sang a song completely butt-ass naked on the stage and everything. So... It was um, in front of fourteen thousand people too. So, it's it's the type of thing that um, you know. For me, this is this is like you know, questioning where does creativity come from. That's uh, it was like between that and then the you know later inspiration with looking at the MOQ framework, two completely unrelated things and everything. Um, I really started questioning where creativity comes from, and the reason I started questioning it with the mock framework was. It, it was a type of thing that, uh, for me, it's just, um, it reminded me of something called Kaizen. Now, Kaizen is Japanese. Uh, it's a Japanese term that was uh, created. And it's uh, based on a movie called Gung Ho, which is called Incremental Improvement. So, you, it's, you can't really, you might call it creativity, but uh, you can't necessarily call it creativity. You know, it's just uh, basically every step in invention 
is nothing more than just a slight deviation in patterns from from prior um, prior uh, things that have been done and everything. And um, that's what this was to me. Now, this this was considered highly creative by the people that had actually done it. But for me, it was just like um, it's relatively simple. You know, um, they had a hard time because it was really kind of brand new. You know, the whole concept of you know actually an externalized uh, thing in unit to actually depend on for you know for unit testing and everything. I mean, they knew unit testing, but they didn't have a a structured procedure or method to it and everything. This presented it presented a structured procedure and method to it. And, um, I mean, that's why I liked it. That's the one part that I did like. The part that I didn't like was inevitably it would become monetized, and at that point it would become something that the company would become dependent on, you know, to pay for, and I wasn't a fan of actually promoting anything, you know, that uh, couldn't be done in-house. And in this case right here, um, this was certainly something that could be done in-house and everything. So... In any case, um, I ended up uh, just basically saying, yeah, I mean, it's the concept is great, but I think we need to do this in-house. And fortunately, they ended up making that decision and everything. But, um, you know, for me, it just uh, really came to uh, start questioning um, creativity. You know, we had been, I had been uh, part of companies uh, off and on that had leveraged uh, software and services and everything on a regular basis. And one thing I, I kept uh, finding myself making the recommendation of, particularly when a company had development staff and stuff, um, um, was to actually uh, internalize that staff, internalize the code, and inter internalize the dependencies and everything. So, and that actually really kind of hit home, you know, when I went to, uh, to a company called Wells Fargo shortly after that, where um, Wells Fargo had, had a dependency on something called MySys, and that's M-I-S-Y-S. Now, it's a, um, it's a foreign exchange system and everything that's a uh, um, created by an Indian-based company and everything, and it was having some major problems with something called publi publisher-subscribed methods. PubSub is what they referred to it as. And uh, what was going on was we had nearly 60,000 users um, that was uh, hitting the thing when I was brought in. It was a major, major problem because they would end up trying to close business on Friday and it would take them two hours to shut down their processes. And I'm not shitting you when I say everybody who was customer-facing and everything was required to stay until the, the system shut down. So you, it made for 60,000 very unhappy people and everything. So... I ended up uh, getting in there, and within about a period of a week and a half, I ended up helping resolve the problem. Um, we ended up, uh, I found a uh, really wonderful tool that can actually help um, diagnose the problems within some, within the .NET layer and everything. And uh, one of the things I ended up saying was, you know, it just, uh, the, the MySys was not created with the idea of scaling with the way that uh, Wells Fargo does, uh, with how far Wells Fargo has. They they focused on creating something that uh, would work for medium uh, small to medium sized businesses, but when it comes down to it, um, that a medium sized business becomes a large business at about four to five thousand people, in my opinion, maybe even a little bit less. I would actually go so far to say maybe about five hundred to a thousand is the uh, tipping point for small to medium size or for for a medium sized business to to a large business, and um, they had. Uh, outgrown this software 
just hands over. Now, there's large, even larger scale businesses and everything, business software and everything. But in a general sense, um, what I, that's what I was finding was that uh, that this software itself had just been it would had been worked great and everything uh, to teach the company about foreign exchange and everything, but it was not something that was long term, you know, plausible. And um, it's it's one of those things that uh, I ended up saying, just like you know they they need to rip the entire thing out. Well, I got a, a shitload of pushback on that, and I do, you know, I mean because it was a it was a potentially a billion dollar account. I I at one point was fearful of my life when I ended up telling them to get this get the software out of there, but. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, when it comes down to creativity, you know, uh, what uh, one of the questions that I had at this point was, what made it so where a company in India did this? This didn't make sense to me. What made it so where a company in India became a dependency by a huge company like Wells Fargo and everything, and not only that is why wasn't America innovating? You know, we had all but bought the farm or sold the farm. You know, when it came down to innovation and everything, and I kept thinking to myself. Um, why is it Hollywood? You know, it seems like it's uh, spinning on the same formulaic approach and everything. Um, why is it uh, a, a lot of films are getting outsourced outside the country and everything? Why, 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 why? You know, why, uh, you know, we had replaced Hollywood as an industry with the, the manufacturing of video games. And hands down, it, it was far more successful financially than, uh, than you know, than was it movies. But it was the type of thing that I was trying to figure out, you know, if you can actually help companies, you know, within the, uh, within the company environment to create a, a more dynamic approach, you know, to creativity and everything, that was actually becoming a question for me, was how can you inspire creativity at the uh, business level? And I kept, you know, seeing a, a very common theme throughout these companies, which was look to the outside for the answers. Now, this this approach, and in, in particular with the Myasis, um, started showing its holes to me, too. You know, the whole look to the outside for the answers and everything started making me realize that um, the, the problem is isn't necessarily with the uh, abilities for these people it's it's with the dependency that the solutions are not available to them internally and they're they're available to them if they if they look look to the outside world and everything and uh that for me is what the essence of creativity is isn't you know is believing you know that it's all outside so at this point, when I ended up making the suggestion and everything to uh, to rip out the software and everything, I got some huge pu- pushback and everything. And uh, um, my boss, unfortunately, ended up getting fired because he ended up promoting my my position and everything. Well, uh, it's it's among the reasons that I ended up getting out of the industry altogether, as I just wasn't accept- an acceptable fit, you know, into the corporate world, particularly when the corporate world was um, being taken over by Indians. You know, 
know, so you had Indian companies that were doing this. Now, I have nothing against Indians. I dated an Indian girl for uh, for four years and fucking loved her. Um, still do to a certain extent and everything. But the one thing that I realized is there's a certain thinking process that's actually um, inert within these uh, within this community and everything, and it's, you know, and, and that's actually one thing I realized was that uh, there was definitely thinking processes that are specific to um, race and also gender, and that uh, to some degree, um, creativity is a product of the individual, but it's also a product of the team as well. And that team, when you when you figure out and, and quit trying to actually depend on the EEO, you know, for a one-size-fits-all e- equation and everything, and you end up um, starting to focus on building a team, understanding the dynamics of the cultures around the world and everything, and how those cultures can invariably influence what the end product and everything, and you leverage that to your advantage, well, at that point, you create a wholly different product in particular, you know, with if you actually focus that energy and focus that time and everything on the specifics of what it is that you're trying to create, you know, and then hire accordingly, um... At that point, you know, the it becomes kind of fascinating and everything, you know, for what becomes possible. So going back to Kaizen. Kaizen's the incremental approach. It's basically um, making a left when you should make a right. It's, uh, you know, it's basically it's taking processes and, and doing a slight deviance from process. And that in itself, while I will go so far to say it is a creative approach because you have to recognize uh, where the possible turning points are. Um, that's a start to creativity, you know. But uh, there's there's also other forms of creativity and everything. And uh, the whole Kaizen approach does fundamentally break down. And you know, when it comes down to um, major innovations, and you know, the whole whole thing that I ended up starting to see, you know, particularly through the MOQ framework and also second through the MISIS systems and everything, was we have to think, you know, America has to think, in my opinion, from a a perspective of how do we bootstrap our creativity, you know, in this country? How do we inspire people? How do we go through the process of making people feel good about being a part of this country? How do we feel? How do we actually turn around and make it so where, you know, people actually want to be a part of this community? How is it we turn around and actually go through, go through and and teach people, you know, what it is, you know, to be an American, and not only that, but teach us about the the crazy, you know, um, often, <laughs> um, not fully comprehensible history that we have and everything and 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 teach people you know at a pace that that they can accept and everything without without um without programming them on what to believe and everything but most of all how is it you you teach an entire country not only that but an entire world um what your purpose is 
you know, not just from a not just from an individual perspective, but from a, a company perspective, from a conglomerate perspective, a group of companies. Um, how is it you you can actually maintain this presence and everything, and um, be a, be what's what I consider the most important, adaptable. You know, over time, yeah. You know, because this country in itself, you know, the one thing I've realized is, it it has needed to adapt. You know, to the to the modern times and everything. It hasn't done done that well, in my opinion. You know, so this is actually the one thing I've been you know had been pondering at that point too was, you know, I I wasn't happy with myself at this point in my life. You know, I'd had a long-term drug addiction um, that uh, I had fun, you know, through the first part of it, but then all of a sudden it started getting to the point where it became self-abusive, and I didn't enjoy that. You know, so I'm trying to get away from this. At the same time, I'm overworked, you know, and um, I'm finding that uh, that I'm feeling like our democracy has been hacked. You know, the United States is democracy, and, and uh, in ways that uh, was actually creating better income flow for countries and people outside the country than it was within, you know, and um, this is actually pissing me off, you know, I mean, it had been pissing me off for some time and everything, you know, and um, I'm at a point right now where I'm, I'm still technically homeless, I mean, I'm living on my mom and dad's couch and everything, you know, but uh, with an MBA and with the, with the, you know, the education that I have and the experience that I have, I certainly shouldn't be in a position that I'm in, technically. Um, I should be in a, you know, CEO, you know, if society functioned like it was supposed to, you know, like is supposed to be predictable, you know, then technically I should be in a CEO's position. You know, I should be leading a company and everything, and uh, I should be, you know, taking this company, you know, and doing what I want to with it and everything. Well, instead I've been taking that mindset and saying, okay, I'm not in a position for that, you know, but what is my company? You know, and this is where creativity comes in. You know, I think that uh, one of the most interesting things that I've learned, you know, along the journey is, you know, asking this question of what is creativity? And uh, as I looked at Kaizen, and as I looked at the MOQ framework, as I looked at this iterative development and basically saying, is this really a product or service that I think the United States is going to be proud of saying it sells? Would I be proud of saying, yeah, I create the MOQ framework, you know, when I'm in a bar to some chick? Um, you know, the girl's going to look at you like, she has no fucking clue. You know, um, yeah, I create mysis. You know, people are going to give you blank stares. You know, um, yeah, it's for foreign exchange. They're still going to be giving you blank stares. You know, unless you happen across an investment banker or something like that, who might actually be interested. You know, but at that point, even an investment banker might be yawning. And that's actually what I started thinking back then, too. So as I was working at UTI, let's rewind a little bit. Um, I started actually trying to actually find... Um, I, I was trying to create a logo for my company. Now, I had created by hand a uh, a goofy, you know, one that I actually kind of loved. You know, it, was, it looked like child art. You know, I'll be the first to admit. And uh, I I don't think I have that logo. I'm going to have to check the Wayback Machine and see if it's actually up there. But... <laughs> 
it's it, it was the logo for Brilliant was something that I just wanted to speak to me, and also I wanted to speak to anybody that that might see it. And it's just like the message I was trying to send was pretty simple. I I represent something that uh, um, I want you not to take us seriously or take me seriously at first. You know, um, it, it might appear like it's child art. You know, at first, but then. I want I want you to find out later that not only you know are we the biggest most resilient company that ever existed but we hand off the things that we don't want to do the things that we do want so with that in mind I um started at that point trying to actually get separate companies to produce a logo for me. I wanted something that was a little bit more professional than the one I had hand-drawn, because I'm not an artist. And um, as I'm going through trying to do this over and over again, um, I ended up uh, contracting with a company that was based out of, in- or out of uh, London, but apparently they contracted with companies that were based in India. Notice the little trend here. And as I'm going through, I'm getting feedback and everything, and I get five different sets of logos. And I'm just like, oh, shit. You know, I mean, seriously, the first five sets set that I get, I, I said, here's what I'm trying to express. And each one came back like a sterile prototype. It was like, they they weren't even good. They weren't even even close to good. They were line art vector-based um, pieces of shit. And I, I can't be any more blunt than that. It's just like, I could have done that. And I was looking for something I couldn't do. You know, so I wasn't interested in contracting out to people who who are going to replicate my thought processes and and put it down onto onto this and everything in, in a in a form that I myself was certainly capable of doing with all the software and services that I had. No, I didn't want that. I wanted something that somebody actually, you know, a graphics artist had actually been trained in, and and they had their own flair for creativity. But here I am getting a pile of dung. <laughs> So I sent it back to him, and I'm just like, no, this isn't acceptable. I mean, I think I was paying, it wasn't that much, it was maybe a hundred bucks or something like that, you know, but the way I looked at it was, I mean, I sent you a list of keywords and everything, this this isn't the list of keywords, I mean, I'm looking for flair here, you know, I'm looking for something that sets my company apart, apart and everything in a significant way and everything, and this, this isn't it, you know? And I was just like, well, what is it? And I said, you know, something more flair. You know, I, I compared it, you know, put some comparative logos out there, you know, some brands out there that I said, okay, this, you know, has, you know, some stuff and everything. And they mildly tweaked it, and I got five more back. Now, keep in mind, I'm getting five at a time, you know, so, and, and each one of these is the same shit. And I'm just like going, you got to be fucking kidding me. You know, so I remember the third time this happened, um, it was even worse, too. And I was getting frustrated with these guys. 
And uh, I'm just like going, look, you know, I said, um, if you guys can't do anything for me, this next set and everything, you know, if you're not interested in putting the time and effort into this, you know, um, this, this here is just like, this is the work of a child. You know, I'm interested in actually having a graphics artist. Do you, I thought you guys had graphics artists. Well, this is graphics art. Graphics art. And I said, bullshit. You know, um, this is something that, uh, that, you know, I've, <laughs> I can do, you know, that any kid can do, you know, that, uh, that has, that has PowerPoint, you know, they can formulate this thing in a matter of minutes, you know, and clearly they are, you know, but, uh, they're turning it around in 24 hours and everything. And it's just like, I'm all gone. This just isn't good. So the fourth time I ended up sending it back, I said, look, just, I'm not interested. And they're just like, well, don't you want, want your money back? And, and I said, honestly, that's an investment, you know, that, the way I look at it, that's an investment, you know, that I'm going to going to lose. And I'm not going to ask for my money back because I know you're going to give me a hard time about it. And he didn't say anything. And I said, in any case, it's an investment in you. You know, hopefully you can do better next time. You know, I said, I'm just flat out not fucking interested in what you have. So, and, and I wasn't, um, it, it's not that I was angry, you know, with it. I, w- I was a little bit because I'd wasted a great deal of my time and everything going through this process, having to call these guys up and saying, look, this is shit and everything. You know, I kept getting this over and over again. So, in any case, um, my logo never manifested itself. You know, at least, um, at least the one that I was, I was hoping to be inspired by. You know, um, I had my own logo, you know, and like I said, that, uh, let's see if it's even out there. I've, I've since trashed most everything that I've actually had on my email systems and everything. Um, so I don't have, let's see if they have it on the Wayback Machine. Way Machine. I always love how, uh, domain squatters buy up domain names. My domain name was, uh, since bought up. I had www.brilliant.com and somebody has, has bought it, so and has parked it, and they'll, they'll sell it to me for the low, low price of whatever. Fuck you. That's what I have to say. Brilliant.com. So, um, looks like, so 2010 is the last time I had it. 2011. Yeah, that's when I was over at, um, Yeah, so the logo, I mean, the last logo that they ended up doing, I, I've actually got it right here. It looks decent. Um, and what they did was a little bit of a header and everything, so I kept uh, I, I kept looking at the Virgin stuff and everything, and thinking that uh, that's something along the lines of what I want and everything, but what they ended up producing, it's not horrible, but it's it's just not good at all. So, there's another one. I had Brilliant back in 2005 when I first thought about the company. And let's see if they still have a picture of that logo there. If they do. Brilliant World. No. Um, But here's what I actually ended up saying. So, I, I don't have the logo, unfortunately. I wish I would have had that logo. But it was like a childlike logo, and I loved it. So, here's what I ended up saying on the original site that I created back in 2005. 
Um, we believe this world is worth fighting for. We believe this fight doesn't have to involve warfare, classes, governments, religions, or any other typically segregational elements of society. We believe the world is, this is actually brilliant, some manifesto, if you will. Um, we believe this world is maturing to a point of understanding there are perspectives in this world and differences are good. We believe that our, although our perceptions of this world may appear to be different, they are actually more similar than they are different. We believe this world will reach its potential only when we humbly accept each other and accept accepting the only things we should ever seek to actively change is ourselves. But mostly we believe in you. One world, one nation. As a, as a company, we stand convicted to a cause as exemplified by our mind. Auto, which is brilliant, very brilliant. And as a start in the coming year, we'll open three facilities in former communist republics and one in a largely Muslim nation. This is just me having fun. I was um, not necessarily put, trying to put the fear of God in people, but more or less basically saying I'm coming. Um, these facilities will provide you all the com comforts of home, um, familiar foods, drinks, places to stay, easy. I, I was actually had envisioned um, this place being kind of like a... Uh, oh, at, at first, it more, more or less like a... Um, they've got um, internet cafe type places over, over in Asia and everything. And uh, that's, um, I had seen these places back in 2009, 2010. Um, just take what, uh, what, what George Lucas did with um, the gaming place that they ended up creating, GameWorks, and uh, take that and, and focus it more on computer games and that kind of stuff. So these facilities will provide you all the comforts of home. Um, I like the idea of basically going to a place like this and hanging out with friends, um, just kicking back and, you know, you've got a big, huge TV there to hang out and just listen to watch TV if you want to. You can sit on a couch. You can, you know, kick back and have a few drinks, do whatever you want to. And uh, it was kind of like a, a social club is the way I looked at it, but it was uh, more or less focused on on games, um, computer games, uh, video games, uh, you know, through consoles and that kind of stuff, and also other forms of entertainment, you know, TV shows, movies, and that kind of stuff. So I imagined, envisioned this place to be a go-to place for movie studios and uh, for TV studios who who actually want to test out their thing, their material and everything in a small, small area. And I also imagined it being a place where people might actually hold meetings and everything, that uh, they can actually find their inspiration and everything in a place that uh, might have a little bit more pizzazz. You know, the, the meeting place, you know, I had imagined at that time would actually be more for entertainment types and that kind of stuff, so where they can test out products and services that they might offer and everything. So, any place, familiar foods, places to stay, easy ability to communicate with your friends and loved ones from afar games and entertainment and a social atmosphere to mix it up with the locals of the, of the region, all in a humble yet comfortable setting. So, in a way, this is kind of like a, um, a Starbucks, but uh, it was um, a little bit more energized than, than your typical Starbucks. Well, it was similar in energy, it just had a little bit more um, things that were available to you. You know, so that's how I how I had imagined it. You know, it's just uh, I didn't want this to cater specifically to geeks. I wanted it to be, you know, to anybody. You know, so if you're a male or female, you know, you can go and hang out. You can go and, you know, maybe it's got some private rooms and everything. So where if you're an entertainer, you know, um, doing webcam type stuff and everything, you go into a room and boom, you can do whatever you want to in there and everything. 
So, no limits. I mean, if you want to, you know, have sex in there and everything and do it on a webcam and distribute, go for it. You know, we'll we'll clean up afterwards and everything. So, who knows who you'll come across, but when you leave, you'll have the easy ability to retain contact with the people you meet in your journey through a familiar setting on the Internet. We believe after this first step, many steps will follow, but we also know we need you to share this dream and see a dream like this come true. Think about it. No wars, no famine, free, freedom of beliefs, free travel worldwide, no Open, open and unarmed world with a focus on progress rather than greed and destruction. A world focused on the betterment of mankind. Does it sound like a pipe dream? We don't believe so. I like how I talk in wheeze. Um, I notice my own phrasing and everything is uh, definitely a little bit different over time. Feel free to check back in frequently, or frequently we'll keep the site updated as the progress starts. Um... We want to see you there, so we'll be building. And yes, we're serious, serious about having fun with this. So um, my inspiration definitely came from when I was uh, overseas, and um, it uh, a lot of it uh, was just based on some of the things that I had gone through. Now, do I still believe in that whole you know brilliant thing and everything? Uh, to a certain degree, yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't say, you know, the whole concept that I had before, um, I like the idea of being kind of like a uh, modern-day arcade. You know, that's just being sincere. Now, do I like the idea of there being cameras in the back and everything? Um, to be honest, I've actually kind of strayed, strayed away from this. You know, I like the idea of you being able to do whatever you want to do and everything. Um, but uh, it's all kind of like public in nature. So, um, but I also like the idea of changing laws to make it so where sexuality is, you know, something that you can do in public and everything. And for me, that's actually part of what I would do with this is, you know, basically make it so where, you know, if, if there is, you know, things available and everything, you know, that, uh, you can potentially, you know, broadcast, uh, sex if you want to, if you do it at a place like this or something like that. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of things I don't know. For me, I consider it an experimental test bed, um, someplace where I can go and try different things out and everything. Now, here's the problem with it. I would never make money doing it. Ever. Um, it's like having an arcade. Um, I think an arcade uh, arcade owner would do uh, the arcade simply because they enjoyed it, but um, I... I don't know how arcades made money. I mean, those game machines cost, you know, $1,000 plus when they were first released and everything. If you do the math on it, um, there's no recouping those costs when you're only getting, you know, a quarter to, you know, to, you know, four quarters, maybe um, eight quarters an hour at max on a machine. Now... Uh, that's the whole thing. It's just, just like if you're actually trying to monetize something like this, which I realized um, back then, you know, it just wasn't possible and everything. Then, really, it's just like uh, it, it's it's not going to be something I'm going to be able to financially make some money from. Um, so I, I I know I know that I actually have to take a different approach and everything, a, a more creative approach, and I knew this back in 2011. So this is a November of 2000, November 15, 2005, when I wrote this um, manifesto, you can call it. Um, then in February 2011, I had the uh, the other one where I ended up um, saying, okay, you know, it's it it's just. Um, you know, the, the new logo and everything. The new logo is kind of more refined from a business perspective, but I just didn't enjoy it, you know? I mean, flat out. The differences between them is one's, 
you know, kind of sterile, you know, um, it doesn't speak to me at all. And while it does look professional, it, it doesn't have the professional and personal appeal that I want it to at all. So that, that became, that becomes a problem. So in any case, 2014 looks like I got some new changes to Brilliant as a domain. I know I didn't do anything with it then. Oh yeah, I did. Oh, I still had the domain, and I still had it to... Uh... That's right, John helped me buy the domain. Yeah, um, I was trying to actually open up my own company and everything back in a... or transform it into a company over in Costa Rica. We were trying to think of things to create it with. Enterprise management in 3D. Geography and history in 3D. Manager assets. Welcome. And here's the thing. When I ended up going through this process of uh, trying to re reimagine it um, back in 2014, I honestly, I couldn't, um, I couldn't imagine it like I, I couldn't reimagine it. You know, like I wanted it to be. I mean, I had I had this method and this this way of imagining it and everything that uh, it was kind of it was beyond big, you know. And uh, I'm not talking about big from a monolithic um, comparative to an Intel type thing, you know. I'm talking about big from uh, you know, it's just if you're interested in you know a company that. Uh, could potentially change the world, you know, and uh, do it in ways that could actually be fun. You know, that's kind of big that I'm talking about. But uh, in any case, we're trying to, at this point that we're going through the process, this is in 2014, I'm taking a look at it, I'm trying to go through the process of reinventing, you know, reinventing the, uh, the concept and the idea. And I was actually working with a gentleman and everything in Costa Rica, and for me it was just... Um, it was halfway there, you know, but there was a big problem um, trying to actually turn it into products and services. And uh, for me, it's just like it's it wasn't possible. You know, um, the idea for this was a company that was an extension of me, um, a company that uh, had had the capability to be able to evolve over time with me. Um, it it it. Whatever my fancy was, it uh, it was as much part of me as I was a part of it, and um, you know, for me, it's just like I again, I looked at Virgin, you know, and I looked at uh, the whole concept of what Virgin, what uh, did, Richard Branson did with Virgin, and you know, kind of said, okay, you know, if I'm to create my own company, well, one of the things I kept thinking from a personal perspective, here's what I want: I want the capability to be able to go anywhere that I want to and have no financial obligations and everything, no. Um, commitment and everything, you know, from a, a support perspective and everything. Um, now, that that commitment um, might be more, you know, like fa familial. Um, I may want to maintain my relationships. 
but I don't want that there to be an obligation. You know, and this this just came from years of being married and the marriage is failing and everything. So I just realized that that uh, that was one of the big things I wanted is is in a company as well. Um, but the company itself, you know, what I also wanted too was something that allowed me the financial capability um, at my disposal to be able to buy something if I wanted to. Let's say I bought a hotel, and I can transform that hotel, you know, to be a boutique hotel and everything, and I've got all the capital I want to do it. You know, um, that's actually where I want to take this. Let's say I want to, you know, like right now, I want to open up an arcade. I just want to do it for the sake of doing it. And uh, I want to open it up over in uh, over here in Vancouver, you know, 98665 for, you know, a place called Hazeldale and everything. There's a strip, you know, and I like the idea of taking one of my mini cafes that I'm talking about and just opening it up. Now, I can tell you right now I'm going to not want to have the thing around forever, you know, but I like the idea of just basically saying, hey, I want to go open this thing up. I want to go through the process of, you know, creating it, and I want to, you know, create the decor, um, create the presence, and, you know, and at this point, um, you know, once I get bored of it, probably turn around and sell it. You know, it's, it, that's, that's, that's what I want this company to be, is to have so much financial, you know, flexibility and everything that I could just go try shit out. Um, let's say I want to, you know, I want to work on a plane and, uh, want to just basically build my own experimental plane, you know, and, um, I don't know, you know, that this would allow me the capability to do that. The company as a front would, you know, have the had the funding and that way I can turn around and basically purchase this stuff and everything. You know, um any number of different things like this, you know, so whether or not it's purchasing an entire hotel, you know, or retasking a you know, let's say there's a, a company that's in trouble or something like that that I like, you know, um I turn around and I buy the company. You know, and uh, I give them the funds that they need to in order to stay alive. Well, that, that's actually what this company would be about. You know, it would be the persistence company. It would be the company that would just be there, you know, to make sure that uh, those things that I enjoy, that I like having around, you know, um, stay around, you know, and the things that, uh, that I want to try, you know, from a financial perspective, I can try it out. You know, that's that's what that's where what this company is. It's not necessarily something that provides products and services of a tangible way. You know, it's just basically a you know, you can you you can think about this from a, a perspective. It it tick whatever tickles my fancy. That's what this company is about. You know, you can't classify it as like an angel investment because it's not always gonna be about investment. You know, um, you can't, you know, expect that there's going to be any revenue produced, even though there could be. You know, there's going to be times where it's going to be making a great deal of money. And there's going to be other times where I probably ain't going to be making jack shit because I may just be hanging out on a beach. You know, um, it, it's going to be entirely inconsistent. I expect it to, and that's, that's, that's by design, because I don't like fully being consistent. You know, um, I mean, sometimes I do. You know, but it really depends on how I'm feeling. Like right now, it's just like I'm fine with hanging out in my mom and dad's house as I level up my character on Star Trek Online, you know, and come up with new ideas and that kind of stuff on how, how to move forward into the future and everything. You know, but this isn't always going to be, you know, happy for me. 
You know, but what it comes down to is I do need money, you know, without hesitation. You know, unfortunately, this world um, doesn't have a whole lot of creative, or at least the United States doesn't have a whole lot of creative opportunities that are being offered. So how is it United States can actually create more creative opportunities? You know, let's let's get back to the task at hand, the pro- the 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 thing that what I was talking about that began on this whole process and everything. I had one idea for a company I just wanted to create, and um, just kind of um, a way to have fun and everything. I want to create a company and a Hollywood production company and everything, and um, create a new version of Star Trek. And uh, the new version of Star Trek features uh, an all all nude female cast and everything, um, and everybody behind the scenes, all the female. There's nothing going to be but but females hired for it. Um, all of them, every single one of them, would have to actually go through a hiring process. Which, you know, if um, if it was, well, put it this way, you know, I'd be having fun. Now, for me, I'm perfectly okay with this. You know, so, but I understand that uh, there's a lot of things and entities and particularly, you know, legal positions and problems out there that, that are going to be presented with my way of hiring. And, um, you know, so society just isn't ready for me. So here's, here's the thing, you know, for me, I like the idea of doing personal discrimination when it comes down to hiring. I feel like it it has to become a necessity for certain industries and everything, in particular the Hollywood industry, you know, because you're getting, getting kind of the same shit over and over again that's being produced, you know, by them and everything. They need to uh, produce some... Um, I can't... There, there, there are some wonderful productions coming from other places. But actually, I'm just at a point where I want to experiment with it, you know, to see what happens with experimentation and everything. So that that's one possibility, you know, but the other possibilities are, you know, there's too many of them, to be honest, and everything. You know, but that's actually the question, though, is creativity. You know, how is it you can actually inject creativity into a population and everything? And not only that, but how do you steer it without commanding it? That That's kind of like the golden question, you know, because creativity left unchecked uh, becomes something that, um, you know, you can see what happens with World War One and World War Two. That's what happens with creativity unchecked. But uh, if you actually keep it in check, and you focus it, and you keep that energy focused, you know, it, it can do some marvelous things, in my opinion. But the question is, what? Now, I, I like the idea... I'm seeing Star Trek come true. The whole whole world and everything. But it also requires, absolutely requires, having profound different um, worlds out there. Um, different versions of reality. And that's actually among the reasons we'll want to create the all-nude all Star Trek and everything. In every version of Star Trek, you know, it doesn't matter whether or not you create, you know, horror, cold, um, mean, angry. All this kind of stuff can fit within one single universe and everything pretty easily. And that's exactly what they've done. <clears throat> but if I was to create a version that uh, was completely all naked and everything, you know, and it was made especially very professionally and everything... You think people in the the minds here would actually accept that and integrate that within the distribution chain and everything? I don't think so. 
you know, so the way I look at it is you have to create that, um, the intentional split media, you know, the intentional split that will make it so where this professionally well done, well acted, well written, you know, you, you take it and make it better quality than the existing Star Trek stuff that's out there. And uh, you use that as a cornerstone. That's the way I look at it. You know, and you also take the female energy, you know, of many different females working in the same workplace and everything. You know, and uh, no matter what they feel about me, you know, knowing the hiring processes that each and every one of them went through, no matter what they feel about me, the fact is that energy is strong. It's unique. It's different. And it's it's um, feminine. And it surely, in my opinion, has to create a a potentially different bridge, you know, when it comes down to an alternate reality and that kind of stuff, you know, so with that said, you know, um, with all that said, you know, what, um, is it possible to, in a literal sense, create an alternate reality, you know, through the introduction of media that has actually no place, no audience, um, or no, no distribution chains for an audience here in this world? Of course it would have an audience, you know, but uh, if it was well done, well well made, professionally made, and um, there wasn't any kind of like um, you know sexuality to it or anything like that, it would actually be something that could be very, very, very difficult to distribute. You intentionally make it. That's the way I look at it. You intentionally make it difficult to to have a distribution chain. You know, so you know it's not going to be able to be distributed through you know through porn chains and everything just because it's not porn. You know, plain and simple. Naked people doesn't make porn. Um, now, you, you also have, you know, you're not going to be able to show something like this. I mean, you could potentially show something like this on HBO, you know, but if it's like this the entire time, <laughs> and nobody says a word about the lack of clothing, you know, in the episodes at all, and this is just presented as it is and everything... I think people are going to start, you know, if you send this to the masses, it's going to cause some people some problems mentally. Resolution. You know, because here's the thing. Most people need to understand the chronology. And if they don't understand the chronology, they'll make one up. Now, how can you have a potential reality in the future, knowing that multiverses are definitely a concept that are, that are true? How can you have a potential reality that is so starkly different than this one from an imaginative perspective and everything. How can you introduce that and everything from a chronological perspective? I mean, I've got one way, you know, that, that it could be introduced. And it's basically through a man-hater that, that in, introduces a virus in, in 2020. And this is actually going to be the chronology that I'd actually want to write in the scene and everything. And uh, in the year 2020, at that point, she ends up uh, creating a virus. And that virus um, targets the XY chromosome. And at that point, quite literally kills every every uh, male on the planet. And, and actually grows to a certain degree that it actually starts, uh, starts annihilating males across the galaxy. So it, it grows into a massive presence and everything and actually mutates to such a degree that it becomes something altogether different that actually starts targeting all males. All males not just confined to the to you know to this planet but to other planets as well. So with that said you know that could be the chronology, but uh, if you present this without a chronology out there, it can really make for something different. So, in any case, 
the whole concept of creativity. What is it? For me, it's understanding at an innate level that there are infinite realities, potential possibilities that exist. Infinite. Um, that there's a finite handful that are available to you at any given moment and everything. And the finite availability um, can be um, expanded, if you so choose, uh, by more or less uh, going through the process of making a left when you should have made a right. Um, Doing something different than you normally would do, and doing that on a consistent basis. Because that consistency will ultimately break you free, you know, of the mindset of consistency and everything, and actually get you into a process of of choosing the wrong choice in some cases, but a different choice in most cases. And ultimately, it gets you to the point of uh, of discovering what this thing called free will is, and um, that comes in part through choice, you know. But the thing is, understanding all the possibilities out there. You know, and being able to internalize those, you know, is is kind of the crucial key to this. Most people, um, I know I myself had a hard time internalizing it before. I don't know about most people, but uh, I know I had a hard time internalizing it. Creativity isn't a process. You know, um, it's a, uh, it's not a procedure. You know, it, it's just a, it's a habit. You know, it's a... It's a habit formed by doing things different and by choosing to do things different, and uh, and then just at that point, you know, creativity is is one part, in my opinion, one part desire combined with one part choice, com- combined with one part goal, the aim, and I'm talking about long term and short short term. And you got to consider other parties and everything, so there's a lot of other things that go into it. But this is actually the fundamental breakdown of what I consider typical modern Hollywood and everything. It's It's been reduced to a process, and if you reduce it down to a process, um, that that allows you the capability to understand how to break free from those processes that are actually repeating themselves. That's not certainly one. Um but it might also confine you at the same time. So, in any case, um, creativity. I don't know. Some degree, it's just doing things different. As far as my company is concerned and everything. Yeah, I like the idea of being wealthy. I mean, I've made, you know, pulled no punches on that. But that wealth, I mean, you have to find your own way if you're ever going to support me. Your own reason to believe in what I do, to respect what I do. Now, sometimes it's not going to be quantifiable. Sometimes it's not going to be profitable. 
It is what it is, right? So, in any case, um, I'm going to get into my morning TV watching. I get Star Trek Voyager, which I'm rewatching, and then Sabrina the Witch. So, I just wanted to get going on that creativity thing. I just woke up with the song from uh, Drake's and Jurassic Park going through my head. They share some similar themes and overtures on it. But, in any case... Well, it's a good thing I intended to uh, to make an edit of this. The uh, the last one I just let run, and uh, for uh, <laughs> I looked down, and it's been four hours since I last recorded. But uh, it it ran, it ran for quite a while. So that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, anyways, um, something else I want to talk about too is um, something called backfill. Now, I've, I've got a book I've pondered uh, writing. It's uh, basically temporal mechanics. It's the idea and concept of uh, how time functions from a nonlinear perspective. Now, linear, linearly, it's pretty easy to understand, in my opinion. Um, you've got a history of chronological events that actually occur in a certain order, and uh, we tend to, or I tend to, um, can't say we, it's more of an I thing, um, have have a tendency to do these things, and um, more or less, it's you know the tendency is to is to have a history of these things and everything, and do it um, within a single linear framework and everything. This is what's known as a chronology. So you have events that actually occur over a period of time and everything, and the linear events are something that's done in a consecutive fashion and everything. So A leads to B leads to C and everything. Um, I've, I've come to understand that there's more than one method of time and uh, one management and organization of time. And um, So what I'm doing is uh, just basically there's a concept I call backfill. Um, back in about 2005, 2006, I had been... You know, pretty. I mean, I've always been pretty good about uh, watching a lot of different television shows, and in particular, you know, things such as oh, it could be any number of given things, um, but mainly science fiction and fantasy. Uh, I, although I'll watch quite a bit of other, everything else and everything too. And uh, one of the things that ended up happening was a curious event of in 2006 where I I had heard uh, through chatter. You know about uh, something called um, oh, what was the name of the show? It was Firefly, and uh, I was really kind of like taken off guard. I didn't expect this show um, to. Not only did I not expect it, but it was the type of show that I had heard had come out, had gone on to sci- the Sci-Fi Channel, and had had been released shortly after, or had had actually been canned after the first season. And there was a movie that came out, Serenity, which was kind of like a posthumous nod to the people that actually did um did this show, and they ended up um. Hold on. So, moving forward, uh, this thing called backfill is, um, it's a little bit of a, it's not that much of a mystery. Um, what's, uh, Firefly, that's what that was to me. During the period of time that it ended up coming out, it it came out at a moment and everything where I 
I had thought I had control of all, all the media, uh, at least what was out, and I thought I was aware of everything, and then all of a sudden, boom, out comes this thing from two years ago. You know, it's just like I kept asking myself, how the fuck did I miss this? Well, I've seen a lot since then. You know, a lot of things that have actually come out and everything. And just recently, there's another show called Stitchers that just uh, just came out. And it, it claims to have been released three years ago, where, you know, chronologically, um, you know, it, that may or may not be true. Now, how... You know, what are the potential origins of this? The question, the first question I have to ask is, A, did I really miss it to begin with? You know, that, and that's, that's a really a great question. Just because something is put out there as being three years old, you know, doesn't necessarily mean it's three years old. You know, so in other words, it can be generated yesterday and in a literal sense be put dated three years ago and um, it's in a lot of cases it becomes very difficult to determine whether or not it actually was created three years ago and the uh, same thing held true for Firefly you know the, it, it had come out at the same time that the movie did um, at least from my relative relative framework um, relative you know perspective and everything but it uh, it's a type of thing that um, you know when it when it came out, it was just like you know what uh, what am I saying? What am I understanding? You know what's going on here? You know was it indeed you know something that was actually there two years ago, and uh, I just managed to miss it. I mean just that much oversight and everything. And this is where it it became really you know for critical for me to understand. You know at first I did totally question. You know just like wow I I must not have been paying attention. You know, believing that uh, it just, I flat out missed it and everything. Despite the fact that I had, you know, had a, a I had been an adamant watcher of, of a sci-fi channel, you know, I had actually told myself the story, you know, that I just wasn't paying attention. You know, I had believed I just wasn't paying attention, and that's how I managed to miss it. You know, and uh, I just questioned my own capability to be able to gather the information. Since then, I've seen quite a few things that have come out like this. So what it comes down to is, you know, there's there's this thing called backfill, where something may be created um, yesterday or day before yesterday, and what ends up happening is that uh, it actually gets dated um at, at a date that's actually substantially earlier than uh, than when it was put out. Now, this is something that uh, what's his name? Um, oh, Quentin Tarantino, I think, was trying to play with uh, with with uh, some of his uh, grindhouse type films and everything, where he intentionally created it with such a a degree that he was kind of experimenting with backfill. You know, and, and I suspect that uh, what was going through his mind was, if I create media and I create it with the same look and feel of a 1970s show, um, will it actually find itself uh, being put in specific uh, time period and everything? You know, and uh, what and with that one, the problem was the effects that he ended up creating were too easily detectable from a digital perspective. You can tell it was a digital copy and everything. I could, anyways. You know, so for me, it's just like even though I understand what he was trying to do, um, it failed because it didn't replicate exactly the uh, 
the the thing that uh, he was trying to reproduce and everything. Now, I, I've seen a lot of artists have successfully pulled this off, and it's a little bit easier to do with sounds, with songs and uh, sounds than it is to do with uh, with video. And the reason for that is pretty simple. You can actually pick up the instruments and the instrumentation and everything, you know, that was used to reproduce this material and everything, and then at that point, um, you know, use that in order to. Pr- produce that. Now, visually, um, he was trying to leverage digital uh, films and digital toolkits and everything to be able to reproduce the effect, and that's actually kind of where it falls a little bit short, is the digital tools, while they're, um, they come close to the original approximations and everything of, uh, of the old uh, analog-based equipment and everything, it still doesn't reproduce the, the look and feel of that, that analog equipment very well. Um, it, it falls pretty short in my opinion. So, you know, so, but uh, a lot of artists, I've actually seen quite a few artists uh, from a, a song perspective have actually uh, produce, put themselves out there as 1920s and 1930s and 19, even 1940s era artists. And I've actually seen this information, um, I have seen this information get backfilled. So they have, in a literal sense, been shifted back in time, you know, that at least their, that information and everything has been shifted back in time to, to the appropriate era and everything that they were targeting. Now, this is actually a process of what I refer to as backfill. So anytime any material, and, and, and backfill is not the same thing as, you know, I mean, hold on, I'm going to look up what the what one definition, what probably the primary definition of backfill, because from a temporal perspective, it's it's not one and the same. Backfill. I think it has to do with to refill with the material dug out of it. They backfill the hole to the straight level. Material used for backfilling. Oh, okay. I mean, it's it's still fitting in this case. You know, so when it comes down to chronology... Um, you know, one one chronology is that uh, events happen in a particular order and everything, and that particular order is what creates the material in that linear linear framework and everything. That's that's typical chronology. Now you have uh, backfilled chronology where something can actually be created right here, right now, and then at that point, um, with the sole intention of making it a period piece. And uh, and I'm, when I'm talking about a period piece, I'm ta- I'm talking about actually trying to make it so where you leverage the mechanisms that are actually in place in society, actually in the what I what I consider to be somewhat the natural world. Um, you can actually experiment with this and actually create material that will then, in my opinion, will probably. Um, my theory is it will probably actually find itself slipping to a certain specific, very specific time period um, for its release. So let, let's say, for instance, um, you know, you go through like uh, Quentin Tarantino did, but instead of doing what, what Quentin Tarantino did, you go through and you produce a movie leveraging analog tools. So you you go out and you get an analog camera. Um, you 
actors to do exactly what they're doing and everything. And uh, you, let's say you do the whole Charlie Chaplin, eh, maybe not Charlie Chaplin, maybe a Technicolor type thing. You go out and get a Technicolor camera, you, you know, the one of those big, huge things and everything. You get the original type of film. Um, you uh, study the actors and the actresses of that era and everything, particularly the hairstyles and, and all that stuff. And, and especially, mo- most importantly, is the mannerisms. And um, at that point, you go through, you do all this, and then you, you uh, especially with the placards and the, uh, the names and everything, you reproduce the look and feel you know, that's associated with each one of those um, when it comes down to how something like Casablanca or, or Gone with the Wind or something like that may have, I'm not too sure if it's in the same era, I can't remember when those two mo- two movies were released, but uh, what I'm talking about is the credits and, and all that kind of stuff and everything. You leverage the same mechanisms of credits, you know, that those those kind of movies and everything has. Don't copy them, but create a similar effect. And, um, you know, just when it comes down to the way things may fade in and fade out or the way they scroll or that kind of stuff and everything, create similar, um, something similar, but uh, maybe slightly creatively different. And um, once you go through and you do that, at that point you specifically, um, you specifically target the date. Now... At the same time you're doing this, you can create a Wikipedia entry. And here's my, my theory. My theory is if you actually re- re- release this movie through torrent streams, um, you also simultaneously update Wikipedia, Wikipedia. My bet is you can actually slip this media into a certain period in space and time, you know, let's say 1940s and everything, and at that point you'll actually find that you can, in a literal sense, alter um, the history of this planet itself. You know, so, and that's a that's the whole thing is you have to be, you know, you have to go the couple extra steps it takes, you know, such as, you know, creating a historical page and everything, and come up with historical text, you know, that that looks, you know, authentic and everything. And uh, at that point, it's my belief that um, if you simultaneously do these things at the same time, you know, I, I know I'm being redundant there, but it's really important, you know, you have. A, a method on Wikipedia and something else, and maybe even some other pages out there too that you create and everything on the internet. It's my belief that you could potentially alter time itself, and time itself will actually say, okay, it'll go through and it'll update this media, and you're also you're going to see evidence of of this media having always existed, and that media will be produced dynamically. So this is this is actually what the process of backfill. Is backfill is taking authentic material, um, authentic-looking material, um, creating it for a specific target period with a specific goal in mind, you know, and maybe what you're trying to do is is slowly but surely alter um, the public mentality, you know, to basically accept something. You know, so let's say you want to, um, you know, I mean, in my case, you know, let's say you want to, uh, you know, make it so where everyone's um walking around butt-ass naked and everything. Well, let, let's say you go through and um, you take a period piece like that, and you take authentic replicas of maybe Clark Gable or something like that, and um, you you CGI stitch them in. You know, you copy the voices, you copy, and you make it of a, of a popular actor. Maybe not somebody so popular that, uh, that they were actually... Um, 
you know, within this. And at the same time that you're doing this, um, and maybe Clark Gable's taking a little bit far. Take it, make it to like a an, a, a a low A, maybe high B actor, and this is, this can actually work in well. You know, you can actually go through and make modifications to the Wikipedia pages for that respective actor to actually add in that movie, put it in reference to that movie in the Wikipedia, and at the same time release a um, uh, release information, release the movie through torrent channels and everything, all simultaneously. And uh, my bet is, you know, you're actually going to see, you know, an alteration in the literal time stream itself and uh, an alteration in the physical history of this planet. Now, I'm saying this from, I, I suspect this has already been done, and this has been done a number of times, and I suspect it's uh, been done most recently in order to actually create war. And, uh, you know, so, and that's the whole thing, you know, to create a general public acceptance of war and war being a long history of what we've had. You know, I mean, that's depicted in movies and that kind of stuff and everything, so as a result, it's shaped our culture and everything. So, what was it previously before then? Who knows? You know, I mean, what I'm talking about is it's uh, probably been happening for a very long time. So, for me, it's just like, you know, hey, if you want to actually, you know, make nudity a little bit more public and everything, well, maybe take an authentic-looking movie, you know, starring uh, an A-list type actress, and um, you know, have it have it so where she appears perfectly nude in the film. Now, this uh, there can actually be you know a quote unquote um, uproar concerning the censorship of the movie and everything. This could also be published too, you know. So at the same time, and I consider this a kind of like a a blitz that would have to happen, you know, on a, a large level, a large scale level. You know, where this would have to be done, you know, by many people simultaneously. Um, and, you know, to actually make sure the effect grabs, these people would actually have to simultaneously be working in different states and uh, different uh, places around the world in order to be able to get it to occur. So, you know, so here's here's the, the, the thought experiment. You know, the thought experiment is if you have somebody that's uh, making changes over in China at the same time they're making changes over in India, they're making changes over in France and United Kingdom all towards this one specific goal, which is to just to basically put a naked woman inside of a, a very, very, very quote-unquote popular movie that, that has been targeted for a specific period of time and everything, and, um, you know, just basically alter, alter the past media and everything to make it so where this movie was one of the highest-grossing movies of its time, you know, and um, the lead actress and everything, you know, couldn't actually be, you know, I don't know, who's some... Let's look at some 1980s. Actually, 19... Top movies of the 1940s. Um, highest grossing... Nineteen forty. So I'm just going to look at it. And the reason I'm setting it for this period is uh, because of the war and Casablanca and that kind of stuff. I'm actually trying to say this is a tangent point. So we've got... These are the kind of movies that we're actually you know, pitted um, alongside of. you got got um, Casablanca. You've got uh, Double Indemnity. It's a Wonderful Life. Citizen Kane. Great Dictator. Um, 
all these different ones um, were out, out at the same time. And uh, top actresses. I'm going to look up top actresses of the 1940s. We got Catherine Hed- Hepburn, Hedy Lamarr, Lucille Ball. Um, <laughs> Lucille Ball could actually be a really fun one. The reason I'm saying is, is she's quite the the actress, um, quite a quite a mag- magnanimous personality and everything. But the funny thing is, she didn't have a whole lot of um, a whole lot of movies produced back then. So let's see what's what she had see if she had for movies <laughs> I'm thinking of the TV show American Gods because it's actually got her depicted a, a likeness of her so here's a radio appearances movies she also made a movie 1968 uh, would she be a good one though so what's her birthday 1911 yeah she could be an interesting one for sure. See, and here's the thing: the the net effect that I would I would expect would be to see a different form of um. That's Lucy. And um, altogether, see, I think that she'd probably be one of the best ones on this list. You got Catherine Hepburn, Hedy Lamarr, Lucille Ball. Um, Lana Turner, Veronica Lake, um, who the fuck is Veronica Lake? Never heard of this woman. Ginger Rogers, Rita Hayworth, and Judy Garland. So here's the thing, you know, target sites like this, and, um, you know, and specifically, you know, Lucille Ball, I think, would be an awesome woman, you know, to to target, you know, with this, and um, just basically create a backfill where she's, you know, completely butt-ass naked in the movie and everything, and and it causes an uproar, you know, and um, as a result, she gets deigned, you know, to to be television, a television actress rather than a movie actress, because of what what may be considered her poor decision, um, and fluff it up a bit. You know that this could be like a first. And the way I look at this is, this is a first iteration, a first draft, a first change. You know, of a backfill and everything. Now, is there, there's no reason um, that it has to remain. You know that this is a negative thing on her career, but you know it it would be deemed negative in the context of society today, based on you know what we have for history when it comes down to the movies and everything. You know, but introduce this, and all of a sudden you start this slow shift to making it acceptable within film altogether. So at that point, you know, you create a movie based in, I mean, 1911 is when she was born. You know, she's going to be in her mid 30s you know, in the 1940s, so, and at that point, just basically make it so where she, you know, she walks around completely naked, and uh, from there, you know, the movie itself, I don't know what the movie would be, let's see, what movies did she have?
did Lucille Ball ever appear naked? But, so anyways, um, this experiment aside, the whole hit the web, yes, we love Lucy picks, that's too funny. Huh, apparently she did. Or, I can actually... Maybe that's how this is working. It's as I mention it, the time period introduces it. Huh. I mean, it's not that much of a stretch for her to do this. Late 1920s, she was a topless. Somebody's trying to debunk it, but it looks real to me. <laughs> so. That said... Backfill's nothing more than the, um, just the alteration of a historical media, at least in, in relation to temporal context. Um, the alteration or inclusion of historical media uh, that's in a dated period of time and space in order to actually alter time, and um, with the solitary goal of, uh, of making altered, uh, well, with whatever goal. I mean, there could be any number of different goals. It could be just simply to experiment. It could be to alter the present. It could be to, you know, I, I don't know, to try to be creative, you know, just to be simply creative and everything. There's any number of reasons you may create backfill. Um, but uh, maybe it's to, you know, to get recognized as an artist or something like that. Um, maybe it's to, you know, to attempt to time travel yourself and actually go to a specific uh, point in space and time and everything. Whatever the intent and, uh, and goal of backfill, you know, is. Um, backfill is simply the creation of period material, uh, period-based material and everything, with the goal of whatever it is that you want to achieve, but with the goal of making it appear authentic, like material that was actually dated in that point in space and time. What, so whether or not that material is um, audio or digital or any kind of any kind of or I'm sorry or any kind of media altogether, that's uh, that's what backfill is. So, anyways, I just wanted to introduce the concept and everything. I'm going to go take a shower and a shit. Ooh, and is it recording? Probably not. Fuck. Back in, um, it was like 2000... Oh, I think it was about 2009-ish. I was partying quite a bit every weekend. I was just going out and 
or going out, going over to my dealer, getting an eight eight ball, and uh, bringing it back with me. And in an increasing number of cases, uh, Jackie was choosing not to be with me and everything. And it was really, I don't know, I was kind of like disheartened about it. And I couldn't do it with Kenna. You know, I didn't want Kenna to be aware of me partying and everything. So I ended up um, just at that point uh, spending a lot of time on uh, on things like MySpace. And it was somewhere in between 2007 and 2009. I can't remember what, what specifically it was and everything. I know I was incredibly busy with everything I was doing. But um, I was also, you know, it was one of those things where I I considered sleep more of a nuisance than anything, and um, it was just basically a a really um, nasty um, frame of mind to be in. So the more and more I ended up doing this, the more I I found myself increasingly lonely, and um, it was just uh, to the point where I didn't uh, didn't you know, know what to do. I mean, I tried getting Jackie to come over a little bit more, and this is on the, on the downturn, so I think it was probably more closer towards, uh, yeah, towards 2000 and, yeah, somewhere in 2008, 2009. It doesn't matter. Um, but what does matter is I ended up, um, at that point spending more time on MySpace, and that's when MySpace was actually a little bit more of a social network than it, uh, it, than it was. It was actually competitive with, uh, Facebook. So, um, I ended up coming across this uh, this girl, um, Tiffany, and it was almost like it was, it was one of those instances where um, I I just get this weird feeling that she didn't exist before um, before I ended up finding her on MySpace and everything, and for some reason her her existence and everything was contingent on on coming over to me and everything. Well, we ended up, I mean, I was drunk this one night, and we were just uh, flirting and everything, and I told her, you know, I told her about Jackie and how Jackie would, uh, you know, me and Jackie were, you know, my my party animal friend and everything, and she's, you know, she would always uh, come over and show up at the doorstep naked with a bottle of wine or a 12-pack of beer or something like that, and uh, we'd end up doing lines all night and everything, and apparently she was a little bit of a partier herself, uh, this girl Tiffany and everything, and she just, uh, she ended up saying, okay, um... How about I come over tomorrow with the, you know, in the same condition? I'm just like you're shitting me. It was like one of one of those things that, you know, it's just like weird. You know, is this really how people are and everything? You know, am I finding out that uh, people are a little bit more open in nature, and I've been the conservative one? You know, um, that that was kind of blowing me away and everything. So I called her on it. You know, I said, leave your clothes in your car, come ahead and come knock on the door. And uh, I was interested in getting laid just as much as I was interested in having a party friend for a night and everything. So uh, it was about uh, it was about eleven o'clock actually. The uh, the next night she had something going on with her uh, ex uh, ex husband, and uh, she ended up having to drop off her boy and everything. And you know she just and I'm just like I asked her. I said you're not you know you're not currently married. You know and uh, it was one of those things for me. It's not like it mattered. You know, but uh, she just made it clear. It's just like, no. She goes, I did have obligations and everything, but I am interested in partying. That's why I got off to a late night start. I said, okay. And she goes, if it's any consolation, I'll be here all night. And I said, okay. And, uh, you know, what? It, it hadn't been the first conversation, but it was really the most flirtatious and everything. So, about, um, it was actually a little, it was a lot earlier than I anticipated. She said 11 o'clock, and it ended up being about 9.30. And I hear this knock, knock, knock on the door. 
And I open it up, and sure enough, there she is, butt-ass naked and everything. Now, I do wonder, you know, how much of this stuff existed within my imagination. You know, so, um, as I'm doing these things, I'm, I'm, you know, just increasingly um, to the point where I'm really kind of like, um, I'm, I'm questioning, you know, reality a little bit. And it's... You know, at this time, it's it's becoming kind of a little bit more, uh, less passive and more active. And it had all started with hallucinogenics back in uh, Amsterdam and everything about 2002, 2003, and, or 2004-ish, somewhere in there. But with the, um, with what was going on with this, it was just like, I... I couldn't help but wonder about the effects of the lack of sleep and everything, and, you know, was I, how much, how much of this world was imagined by me, and how much of it was real and everything? I, it was, it was a question I was having that was really difficult to actually determine, um, in combination with another problem that I, that I was having on a regular basis, which was, where do I end, and where does other, where do other people begin? You know, and it really almost is kind of the same question, but, uh, it really, it's not. It's absolutely, without hesitation, not the same question. So as I'm asking these questions, and as she shows up and she's pulling a jackie, you know, she shows up at my doorstep, and I'm just thinking, okay, this is kind of bizarre. Is is it me that's the only one that's uh, is, uh, as conservative as I thought and everything? She shows up, and, you know, she's got uh, two bottles of wine, um, both of Merlot's. I remember that. And one of them was called Menage a Trois, and, um, I, she ended up uh, showing up, and you know, sure enough, she'd left her left her clothes. Actually, she left her clothes at home, and it, she actually had me check her car too. So it was one of those things that I just cracked up at. I'm just like, okay. She goes, "Dad, I'd approve to you. I'm, I don't. I'm not married and everything." I said, "It doesn't matter. You know, what matters to me is that uh, you're out to have some fun tonight and everything." And uh, it was during the middle of summertime too. So she just goes, "All I ask is that you don't have the apartment too cold." And I'm just like, "Okay, no problem." So, um, we ended up partying the entire night, and had sex probably about three times and everything, and it was one of those things that it's, it was, I mean, it was okay, you know, she's a very, very attractive girl and everything, um, not normally my type, definitely a little bit on the, on the wild partying side, more so than, than I was and everything, um, but it didn't matter, you know, for me, what mattered was, I was just choosing for the first time in my life to, you know, to be a lot more spontaneous, to be okay with making a pick and choice, a selection and everything for, you know, for a woman on the internet, just basically saying, I want that one, you know, and then turning around and, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, that night, you know, boom, we're at, at my place and, you know, we're going, you know, we're having sex on the patio, we're having sex on, you know, just everywhere and we're also, you know, getting, you know, partying our ass off and everything. It was all fun. It really was fun. But the, um, the thing that, um, that I ended up walking away from, we never, ever, past that, well, we ended up going out one time after that, and it was for sushi, and, uh, it was, it was awkward, it was really, it was bizarrely awkward, we met at a place called Ra, which is at Desert Ridge, and, um, it was just, um, one of those things that, it just, there was something that just didn't, you know, the first night, it was fun, um, but, to say that I actually wanted uh, to be a dating partner or something like that with her or something like that, it it wasn't there. You know that uh, it wasn't that kind of relationship. I I was interested in what happened that first night. I wasn't interested in prolonging it, and um, 
it was just one of those things that it was fun while it lasted, you know? So, and, uh, yeah, we ended up, we kept in contact, and I still think we're Facebook friends and everything, but we never went out past that point and everything. So, anyways, um, I've actually really kind of questioned, you know, what, what the internet is, and, um, there's there's been a number of reasons I've actually thought about this from a media perspective as well, and uh, you know what what is the internet, and also more than that, what's um, what's media altogether? Now, for me to say that it's a shallow two dimensional thing that I actually see things on the screen and everything um, would be a lie. I mean, I absolutely get more from it from a learning perspective, um, but uh, is it possible that other people get more from this? And uh, with that, I think I think. Think it's not that hard to look anywhere, to you know, to to make any look and look at a, a TV show and the success of a TV show called Baywatch. Now, why is Baywatch so popular? I mean, girls bouncing boobs and that kind of stuff are a dime a dozen on the internet and everything. What makes something like a uh, like Baywatch so popular? Now, I came up with an answer for it myself. And the answer is lies in what happened with Tiffany. I do think it's possible that you can actually, your mind can work in collaboration with you to create the things that you see in the, you know, on the internet and also in the TV shows and movies and everything, and um, it can actually create those things in the real world. To some degree, you just have to a have have be actively engaged with your imagination to be able to achieve that, and B um, you have to be on relatively good terms with your imagination as well, and uh, and C um, you have to um, you have to just be be okay with um, with engaging in imaginary things that may not that others may may not. Um, may actually question your, and the way I look at it, question your sanity on. Now, look at a a TV show or a movie like uh, Ted. You know, Ted features this uh, talking doll, you know, that has the capability to be able to listen to him. And um, it, you know, has this, it's a teddy bear, and for all intents and purposes, this teddy bear's got a bad attitude, and he's also a stoner as well. Well, I mean, it's it's okay. You know, it's cute. I thought it was cute and everything. It's not my idea of a companion. My idea of a companion is like, you know, I look at uh, something like um, somebody just recently turning me on to uh, Chatterbait, and there's nothing better than just sitting there looking at a gorgeous woman play with herself for, you know, for a couple hours and everything while I'm playing my game. You know, so for me, um, more my speed is actually looking at things like that, saying, I just want that one. You know, I'm not looking for deep. I'm not looking for intellectual. Um, what I am looking for is is somebody that I can just admire and maybe touch and feel and maybe like Tiffany that one night and everything. Just basically say, hey, you know, pick and choose. Uh, this is the one I want to have some fun with this evening and everything. So on those lines, um, the darndest thing happened tonight. Um, years ago, back in uh, 2003-ish, I ended up meeting um, Jocelyn. Jocelyn Hilliard. She was actually at the uh, going to Fort Meade with me. Um, to my awareness, is she is not involved with the NSA, but uh, then again, to my awareness, there's a lot of things I'm not aware about what's going on over there. It, basically, everybody that attended Fort Meade um, could potentially be in the CIA or the NSA. 
um, for uh, for AIT, but um, it doesn't uh, necessitate and doesn't necessarily say they are. So, in any case, Jocelyn and I had a huge crush on when I ended up meeting the girl and everything, and um, we went out a couple times um, with a group of people and everything, and I think every dude in there had a crush on the girl. You know, she's magnanimous, she's crazy, she's wild, she's sexy, she's cool, and uh, she's also kind of badass, too, you know, so, and uh, she's, you know, and, uh, of, of other things as well, she's very, very, very comfortable in her skin. More than one time, we'd go out to go party and we'd rent a hotel room and everything. Thirteen of us would chip in to go get drunk and everything and everybody would be sleeping in various different places and everything and, you know, it would be, you know, more than one time, you know, she'd just, uh, she'd end up getting buck ass, ass naked and, you know, she wouldn't have sex with anybody but she just, you know, she was comfortable in her skin. This is actually when I ended up uh, shortly after finding out that she's a nudist and uh, that uh, she just really, you know, I mean, being naked is just a part of who she is. That's just... You know, something that her and her family have done um, ever since she can remember. So she thinks everybody else is weird. And, uh, you know, with their problems and fixations and sexual hang-ups when it comes down to nudity. And I, I learned this quite a few times and everything over the next couple of years. And, you know, particularly meeting Jackie, who was, who was her friend, who, um, while she wasn't an, an, a quote-unquote nudist uh, in the same way that uh, Jocelyn was... Um, she was uh, did have basically the same kind of values and everything. So, in any case, um, Jocelyn, you know, me and her, we ended up going our own separate direction and everything a couple years ago when um, I ended up uh, going through this, this, this shit, uh, trying to understand the world and everything, and just really kind of, um, you know, really alienated most of the people that I actually cared about in my life, particularly my friends. And um, my family, not so much and everything. I love my family still, but, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, family is and will be here for me. Where my friends, it's not uh, not as uh, much a, a guarantee and everything. So it's uh, one of those things that, um, you know, when it happened everything, you know, her, you know, no longer discussing, talking to me or anything like that, kind of broke my my heart a little bit, you know, particularly when she ended up calling me the devil and everything, and I'm just like going, you know, whatever. But, um, but there was something about her. She changed over time. She was not one and the same woman that I knew her when, when we were in the military, and she, she aged in a very, what I consider, ungraceful way. Um, she put on a lot of weight very quickly and everything. Um, and uh, not only that, but the attitude just changed in remarkably negative ways as well. You know, so I'm just like, well, you know, maybe, I mean, over the years I thought maybe it's just not that that great of a loss and everything. You know, she got really bitter and everything got really controlling. So, in any case, it was really interesting because tonight, as I'm um, watching, you know, as I said, Chatterbait, um, which is, you know, basically, it's just like girls will masturbate and they'll they'll do performance and, uh, performances and everything for uh, more or less what they, uh, tokens, and uh, a token will actually 
they'll, most of them will have a vibrator inside their pussy, and uh, the vibrator will actually go off when you donate or when you provide when you pay them. So it's uh, more or less like having a monkey on a leash, and that monkey's uh, got a vibrator. So it's you can call it demeaning. I call it fun. So in any case, I just like watching, and uh, I don't have any money to pay these girls, but I'm highly entertained by it and everything, and I'll just sit there and watch some of my favorites and everything. I've got uh, about 15 that I've uh, selected over the last two weeks, and I only got onto it about two two weeks ago. Um, but uh, something ended up happening today that just really took me off guard. I saw this girl that, um, she's not just Jocelyn, um, but she is, she's, she doesn't just have the looks of Jocelyn, but she has um, the presence, the persona, um, and everything. She is, in a literal sense, um, Jocelyn, you know, with with a, a a little bit of a sophist- more sophisticated accent and everything. Um, that's that's literally the only change. She's still the same exact woman, but this girl has not aged, you know, from the day that I met her in the military and everything. So I started thinking, it's just like, you know, I mean, for me, it's just like, well, you know, there's a couple explanations for it. You know, number one, um, time's moving differently for me, and I already suspected that a long time ago. Um, and this is indeed one and the same girl. Um, she just, you know, donned a new uh, new accent, and you know, for the most part, the only thing that's uh, changed is is absolutely nothing. You know, she likes being naked, and now she's actually doing it on, you know, something called chatterbait, and it's it's really the same same woman. You know, it's so that that doesn't surprise me. You know, that uh, that that woman may have aged differently or may not have aged at all and everything. And uh, what I'm saying is is the actual woman. The second thing is, you know, well, it could be potentially a clone of her. Um, or this is just an indication. I mean, okay, yes, there's always a possibility that there's a doppelganger and that kind of stuff. But you know what? When it, when it comes down to it, this isn't. This exceeds just having a doppelganger. The personality is still there, with the exception of this, of this accent that almost um, that feels a little bit fake. You know, she listens to the same music. Um, everything about her is just still the same, and everything. It's the same damn woman. But uh, you know, the funny thing is, for me, from a relative standpoint and everything, it has, in a literal sense, been. 17 years since I ended up seeing this girl this last time and everything, or actually since she was this age and everything, which has me wondering, you know, um, in a relative sense, is time moving differently for me, you know, in contrast to everybody else? You know, um, am I in some kind of a simulation or something like that? You know, and uh, is this, um, you know, part of what happens when... I, you know, it really just calls into question what happened to me when I ended up going through Fort Meade, when I ended up going into the military, and you know, ended up going signing the bottom line for the NSA and everything. What happened? You know, it's just one of those things that I'm honestly at this point sitting there going, okay, you know, and and honestly, without conspiracy set aside and everything. Um, I just, I just really started looking at it and started saying, okay, I'm, I'm not going to think about this from a conspiracy standpoint. I'm just going to think about this from there stands the potential that, yes, it, indeed, it is one and the same woman. Um, and if it is, if I ever actually happen to get into a conversation with the girl in real, in real life and everything, um, not, not the other one, but this one and everything, and um, she 
she says she remembers me or something like that, or she knows who I am, then that's fine. You know, that's perfectly fine. I'm not, I'm not looking for conspiracies, and to be honest, I don't, I don't know and I don't need to know about what's happened since and the differences in the way that time moves and everything for us. You know, it just, that part of it doesn't matter. Um, just because when it comes down to it, my relative life that I've lived in everything has been my own life, and it's different than anybody else's and everything. And time itself has actually moved differently as a result, too. So, in any case, right about, um, right after that ended up happening, I also had something what I consider equally as remarkable, if not more remarkable, than that happen. And, um... That was, as I'm playing my game, um, Star Trek Online, I'm, all of a sudden, I see, it, it, there's a bright light, the, the entire thing goes off with the bright light and everything, and then all of a sudden, um, it, it just basically it covers the whole screen, and then all of a sudden that light dies down, and now all of a sudden it's uh the colors are subdued they're darker um everything has more depth to it so it's almost like instantaneously something happened and what was you know um deep dark of black space that i'm actually having this space battle in is now is now substantially darker and in addition to this it's also the the things there's it's almost as if there's more detail within everything like right now i'm looking at it and it's it's like there's smoke plumes and the smoke plumes uh for these satellites that have been hit um actually have plumes and it looks like there's more detail in it a rocket uh flew by me and uh, earlier right after this all this happened and everything and the rocket actually had considerably more detail it's like it had a backdraft um you know draft of smoke and everything that accumulated for it and it's just like jesus you know this it's weird it's almost it was literally that instantaneous that that ended up converting to that and just it was a flash of light and all of a sudden boom that's what ended up happening and i was like wow that's actually really fucking cool what's going on now here's the thing some things um i don't have answers for and this one right here I'm suspecting that from my standpoint and everything, because of this idea and concept of temporal relativity, um, that is, my time moves different relative to others, and um, I'm as I'm playing the simulation, um, that also means that my mind is influencing the simulation, causing the accelerated evolution of the simulation um, to to actually an evolved state uh, from what it was in before. And when I see a flash, it's just because it has exceeded the capabilities of what, what had been previously possible. And to some degree, um, I suspect it's just more or less a way of looking at a nuclear explosion. You know, a nuclear explosion is a photonically based event. Um, now, to me, you know, it, it, it appears as nothing, nothing more, you know, than a flash of light, you know. And uh, that flash of light is over instantaneously, and I just see the next stage of it. You know, so um, it's just basically a saying, 
that uh, what what can be potentially harmful and and uh, annihilate an entire species or civilization, you know, to me is nothing more than just a brief flash of light is and, and a segue for a video game, you know, that I'm seeing transition from one state to another. And as I'm looking at it now, I'm not shitting you when I say the depth and detail for this game in the last um, since that transition happened is incredibly. Um, is is it's i mean it's it's much more deep than depth and detail to it than it had before it's really kind of cool you know i mean and i'm talking from a three-dimensional perspective so i'm used to looking at the two-dimensional images on my screen and everything but this has just been enhanced from a three-dimensional perspective it's almost nearing the point where it feels like I can actually reach into the simulation and grab something. It's not there yet, but it's actually getting damn close to it and everything. And uh, it's just like, huh, interesting. You know, so it just, it's its all made me really, you know, question, you know, the nature of reality and, you know, what's media? You know, is media, is media really, when it comes right down to it, is it a selection? You know, is it... Is it the you know the capability to be able to say I want this and this and this, I want this and I want it here right now, you know, and uh, at that point that's that's how it works. And when you don't want it, boom, you dismiss it right back and everything. I don't know. I I honestly don't know. I like that idea. I mean, think about how easy and fun it could be. You know, you see a hundred bucks on the screen and everything. And boom, it's just like, hey, you know, I'll take that hundred bucks, and all of a sudden you pull it out, and now you've got a hundred dollars, you know, um, or even better, you take a woman, you know, or a car, you know, and it's just like, boom, you're pulling it out of the screen. I mean, it might have to be pulling parts of a screen. I don't know how that would work. Maybe you just touch the screen, and at that point, boom, it would appear in your driveway. Your mind, you know, your imagination knows how to link up the rest and everything. And uh, it's just like, I don't know. See, I like the idea of this. I mean, for me, the idea and concept of working, this to me, to some degree, is a little bit of work, but it's also work at the same time. Because I can go anywhere in the world and I can do this, you know, do this grind and everything. And um, I like the idea of being able to, you know, select a companion. You know, I want this for a companion for now. I know I'd be able to contribute to the development of her personality and everything, If I, especially if I ended up taking her to places and everything. You know, going going out with her, I'd certainly be treating her as human. You know, because for all intents and purposes, as far as I'm concerned, she is. She's a developmental mind. She may not have any memories, you know, of this event from a conscious perspective, but subconsciously she will remember these things, you know, and she'll integrate those into her per- personality and let it develop her into whatever it is that she wants to be. And same thing holds true for the car. Most people, you know, I mean, I know I wanted to work for it, but to some degree, I was busting my ass. I want to be able to travel, but at the same time, I like the idea of expanding my world, you know, 
beyond, you know, to like the Star Trek step type stuff and everything. I know that if I was to start down that path and grab somebody from, you know, from what I consider the the screen, say you here now, and um, also have a car and also have enough money for gas or something like that, I know that with with that potential, there is limited um, possibilities here on this planet. You know, for me to go down. And I've got a, a potential, you know, set of things and everything that will certainly keep me busy for another 10 to 15 years. Maybe even more. It depends. You know, I'd, I've got a lot of hobbies and everything I can actually take, you know, get into and everything. But, um, after that, though, now I want to have a destination. And that's actually why I look at something like Star Trek and say, hey, you well, this could actually be my work. You know, when I'm doing this on day and everything, I'm doing this because I'm expanding the possibilities and um, expanding, you know, and choosing different games, you know, specifically to expand the possibilities, not just in, in off this world, but also in different worlds as well, interdimensionally as well. I like the idea of doing that. Now, to actually go work for corporations and do this kind of stuff, you know, to be honest, I mean, I don't mind it. You know, but really, it has to be something redemptive, and and I've actually gotten no possibilities whatsoever of anything that actually seems seems entertaining. It seems fun and everything. Not not more so than playing the games and actually believing that I'm actually creating those possibilities, doing it through this and everything, and seeing the results directly and everything. See, I like the idea of doing it the way that I'm talking about it and everything, but I have to have resources in order to be able to. Um, enjoy this world as I want to enjoy it. And the resources, you know, isn't just imagination. It's financial, because this world is financially based. And I'm fine with that. With one exception. I don't have those finances to be able to achieve the things that I want to do. There are simple things I want to do. You know, I'm not not as interested in the drug experience anymore. You know, the drug experience kind of exposed these possibilities and everything to me. You know, now that I know these possibilities are here, you know, there's other things I want to do. You know, that I can actually achieve natural, you know, states of uh, of awareness and enlightenment and everything through, you know, bungee jumping and you know the jumping off of cranes and other things like that, going for a MIG flight and everything and pursuing my commercial pilot's license and everything, and, you know, going through and um, maybe, you know, test-driving Ferrari on the uh, on the Autobahn or the uh, track over in uh, Germany or something like that. There's a lot of different little things I can do that will not just keep myself entertained, but also give me meaning, you know, and um, make it so where I've got a, a reason for, for sticking around, for enjoying things and everything. Now, you know, when it comes down to people like Jackie and Rachel and everything, that's that's the toughest thing for me. Part of what I would be doing is keeping those two off my mind. You know, maybe others like Rachel or like um, Kenna and uh, Lisa and everything as well. You know, but um, they've meant so much to me and they still do. And I don't feel like that chapter in my life has even closed and everything. But to some degree, this is the consolation. This is the booby prize, believe it or not. 
you know, of having those two in my life and everything on a constant full-time basis is being able to manifest the things, you know, through touch, through, through saying, see this girl right here? She's not perfect. You know, she's got small tits, she's got, um, but she's goofy, she's fun, she's playful, and I wouldn't mind just hanging out with her and everything, you know, for a night and everything. You know, let the story be, you know, she's, you know, she's my girlfriend. Um, we can make make up stories as we go and everything about why she's here. You know, um, heck, maybe have her tell me the story about why she's here. You know, I'd like to hear her creativity. You know, I say it's her. I just go along with whatever she says at this point. <clears throat> she's goofy. That's what I like about her. got a good personality, and she loves being naked. But that's the thing. I like the idea of doing this and expanding the possibilities. Creating different worlds. That could be the work. It doesn't feel like work. It does a little bit. You know, the daily grind... In a literal sense, I'm grinding on on video game and everything to expand the world and expand the possibilities. But maybe, maybe there'll come a day where I just get sick and tired of video games, and I do consider it more work. I actually want a normal nine to five job and everything. Maybe I don't know. For right now, I mean. It's not like I'm as thrilled about video games as I was when I was younger. But uh, but what I will say is I also see an end to the means. You know, I see the possibility that as I play this, the Star Trek universe expands and uh, increases more possibility, and I see more detail in that universe and everything, um, you know, indirectly through this, you know, through this little window. Now, does it... Um, What's what's gonna be the end goal? Well, the end goal is you know to more or less tour like like Q would be my own version of Q. <clears throat> Maybe find a new captain to bug. I wonder, can you rename captains? Let's see. Progress edit record. Can only be changed on the character selection screen after a microtransaction from the C store. So the answer is yes, I can change it, and I probably will change it from this name to something else. But way I look at it is, it's just like um, this. This is kind of a fun prize, you know, a fun, fun thing. But uh, the whole concept and idea that I saw this game. And also I saw Jocelyn, a young Jocelyn at the same time. Life's weird like that. In a cool way. Anyways, off to grind.